0: You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. We've kind of been talking in our series, you know, just again, you know, how we believe in creation, you know, that God created the heavens and the earth. God created everything that inhabits the earth, and God created a puffer fish, to be able to do what only a puffer fish can do. Paul says that one of the ways that God reveals himself to us is through creation. And then I'll tell you what, if you don't see God in that, what that puffer fish is able to do, again, Paul says that it's through creation that we come to recognize God's invisible attributes and his divine nature. I look at that and I say, there is a God I mean, I I could never do that. You could never do that. But a fish with just a couple of fins is able to do something that spectacular, it screams, it shouts to me, there is a God. Amen? Hey, before I get into the sermon this morning... By the way, that is called Pufferfish Art, and you can get that on YouTube. Just type in Pufferfish Art, and it'll bring it up, and you can amaze your family and friends with it um, as well. I want to kind of just, before I get into the sermon, I want to kind of just bring up once again uh, that we are going. Um, to be gearing up uh, for the Bible Reading Marathon. If you were here last year, remember that uh, all 99 counties in Iowa uh, are participating uh, in this again this year. This is where we kind of read the entire Bible uh, aloud. Some counties have already uh, completed this leading up to the 4th of July. So some counties are already done. Others, uh, such as ourselves, we're gonna be doing ours over the Labor Day weekend. So the Bible Reading Marathon for Cerro Gordo, County will begin on Tuesday, August 29th at 12 noon and conclude on Sunday, September 3rd around 4 p.m. or whenever we get that uh, completed. This year we're going to do a really kind of a cool thing. We've added uh, on uh, the citywide worship. So we're going we're to read right up to Revelation 21 and then we're going to stop and we're going to read the final chapter at the beginning of the citywide uh, worship. This is a way to kind of end that and just a time of uh, celebration there. So we're going to be doing it at the Cerro Gordo County Courthouse just across the street where we did it uh, last year. Uh, our new governor, Kim Reynolds, uh, like Governor Brand said last year, she assigned signed uh, a proclamation encouraging Iowans to participate uh, in this statewide event. Uh, Karen Campbell and I are once again serving as the coordinators for Cerro Gordo County. And uh, if you're not familiar with this, what this event involves is kind of just um, People reading for 15-minute segments. And it's going to probably require in total about 320 people. And what we're looking for this morning are uh, just team captains. Uh, and a team captain is someone that's just responsible for finding six to eight other people uh, to, to serve with them and just fill a two-hour time slot. So you kind of just come uh, with your group, and you'll kind of be reading Scripture uh, for those two hours, kind of you know each person taking a 15-minute segment. And just kind of be there during that time just to oversee, make sure uh, things are going smoothly. Uh, and again, as a team captain, you can recruit family Friends, coworkers, neighbors, you know, children. I know Neva's gonna be doing a whole two-hour time slot uh, with youth, uh, and so again, uh, we just wanna find people that would be willing to serve as team captains. So right now, we're just trying to fill a 12-hour block and be able to do that. We're just looking for six Team captains, people that says, yes, I will work to recruit six to eight uh, people. If we find more than six team captains, that's great. We'll just be able to fill additional time slots. So if you're interested in serving as a team captain, see Karen Campbell. Karen's here uh, or myself following the services. And we'd love to visit with you more uh, regarding this incredible opportunity or just answer any questions um, that you may have. Now, we are in uh, the middle of a series we've been doing this summer, called We Believe, and today the, the series is going to kind of be like the weather. It's going to heat up a little bit here, and throughout the series, we've kind of been talking about worldviews, and again, there are, are two worldviews. There is what we would call a biblical or a Christian worldview, and there's what we would call a secular worldview, and remember, every person, everybody has a worldview, Again, that's kind of a lens through which they kind of see the world uh, they live in, the life they live, and it kind of becomes the guide that they use to make crucial, important decisions regarding how they're going to live, what they're going to believe, and again, whether it's a debate uh, over You know, are we created or simply evolved from, uh, you know, uncreated matter, Uh, whether there is uh, absolute truth or is truth always relative, is truth always changing, you know, how are right and wrong determined, what happens to a person after they die. Again, the the Christian or the biblical worldview kind of gives one response, while the secular worldview gives a radically different response to all. Of those questions. As I stated previously and throughout the series, again, every worldview, whether it's biblical or secular, every worldview is based upon faith. And since faith is really only as valid as the evidence upon which it is based, again, it is important to look at the evidence being presented for both views. And so that's what we've been kind of doing throughout the series. We've taken a topic and said, okay, here's the biblical worldview, here's the secular worldview. And today, again, we're going to take a very hot topic, again, no pun intended, and that is the topic of hell. Okay, interestingly, they have done multiple surveys on the topic of hell. And have found that most people themselves do not believe they are personally going to hell. But on the other hand, most people believe they know at least one person they believe is going to hell. Now, again, most talk about hell and who's going there, oftentimes it's kind of just reserved for the really, really bad people. You know, people like Hitler or Stalin or Osama bin Laden, just to name a few. Sometimes hell can even be linked to people who commit horrific acts. Hell was linked in the trial of Scott Peterson, a man who was found guilty of murdering his wife, Lacey, and their unborn son back in 2002. And after this man was found guilty, Lacey's mother, Sharon Rocha, spoke directly to Scott Peterson in the sentin- sentencing phase of the trial. And she looked this man right in the eyes, and I want you to hear what she said. She said, the fact that you no longer wanted Lacey did not give you the right to murder her. She was my daughter. I trusted you, and you betrayed me. You betrayed everybody. Did you look her in the eye, Scott, as you killed her? Was she alive when you put her in the bay? I think of Connor, Lacey's unborn son, saying, Daddy, please don't kill us. I promise I won't take her away from you. Daddy, please don't. Stop. Now it is time for you to take responsibility for murdering Lacey and Connor, your son, your own flesh and blood. Now, Scott Peterson, I say this to you. You deserve to burn in hell for all eternity. Mrs. Roche's last statement there kind of raises some very huge and interesting questions. And the first question is, is there a hell? Is there a literal place of eternal fire and punishment? The predominant 21st century view is that hell's kind of a myth. It's just kind of a fable. It's just a way, you know, to kind of scare people and to make people believe in God or to do good things. It's not a real place. Second question, does anybody really deserve to go there forever? While we may believe that everybody spends forever somewhere, would God really truly sentence a person to hell Forever? I mean, even those that may concede it is a real place say that very few people, if anybody, deserve to go there for all eternity. John Lennon, you may remember, former Beatle, had that smash hit in the early 1970s with a song that included these words. He said, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. And that's exactly what a lot of people believe and a lot of people say. There's no hell, or if there is a hell, it's really not that bad, and only really, really terrible people go there. Some people, they kind of believe, you know, hell is really just the hell we create for ourselves here on earth. I heard about a young lady who went to her mother crying, and her mother said to her, what's wrong? And the woman said, Mother, I can't marry John. His religion teaches him that there's no such thing as hell. And her mother said to her, go ahead and marry him. We'll show him just how wrong he is. What is so strange in our culture is that the word hell has never been more popular or commonly used. Consider these phrases we've often heard, or maybe even use ourselves. A teenage driver, we've had a few in our family, maybe you've had some, and that experience has kind of left you thinking, this is, you know, a teenager's hell on wheels. You know, when we witness extreme violence, or a major argument erupts, we'll kind of say, all hell has broken loose. We say that a bad spouse is kind of hell to live with. A great effort means you're trying like hell. If someone's really pumped up about something, they'll say, I'm as excited as hell. If you want to move quickly, you kind of go like a bat out of hell. The odds of winning the lottery, people will say it's a snowball's chance in hell. What does a troublemaker do? They raise hell. You threaten somebody by saying, there will be hell to pay. If something is very painful, people will say, it hurts like hell. Before the Minnesota Vikings ever win a Super Bowl, hell will freeze over. (laughs) I love picking on you Viking fans because you're so easy to trigger. So honestly, the question is, is hell more than just an adjective? The question of hell, I think it's really an extremely serious question. And I think every question about hell deserves an answer such as these questions. Is there really, literally a place called hell? Who will go to hell and why? How could a loving God send someone to hell? We're going to talk about that this morning. As I begin to share with you again how the biblical worldview differs from the non-biblical worldview, I want you to know I agree wholeheartedly with C.S. Lewis who once said this. He said, there is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than hell if it lay in my power. I would pay any price to be able to say truthfully, all will be saved. I got to tell you, I agree with C.S. Lewis. The doctrine of hell, to me, it is one of the most frightening. It is one of the most problematic. It's really one of the most difficult things to preach on. I don't look forward to doing sermons like these. However, a biblical worldview does not allow us that luxury. So I want to just share with you what I think are three biblical worldviews of hell. The first one is, the Son of God affirms the reality of hell. Anyone who knows anything about preachers and preaching, sermonizers and sermons, are going to probably agree that the Sermon on the Mount is probably one of the greatest sermons ever preached. To quote just one man, former President Franklin Roosevelt, he said, I doubt if there is in the world a single problem whether social, political, or economic, which would not find ready solution if men and nations would rule their lives according to the plain teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. That's a very interesting statement because Jesus had not gotten very far into the Sermon on the Mount when he began making statements like these in Matthew chapter five. Jesus said, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Later on he says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now the reason I quote Jesus may shock you But I want you to understand, most of what we know about the biblical view of hell comes from the lips of Jesus. Do you realize of the 1,850 verses in the New Testament that record the words of Jesus, 13% of them deal with the subject of hell and judgment? Do you realize Jesus talked about hell more than any other Topic. Jesus talked more of the reality of hell than he did the reality of heaven. Of the 40 parables that Jesus told, more than half of those parables relate to or mention the concept of hell and God's eternal judgment. The strongest biblical word for hell, the word Genna is used 12 times in scripture, and do you realize 11 of those times Jesus was the speaker? I have to warn you, again, the picture that Jesus paints of this place, it's not pretty. The word gena, which is used many times by the references that Jesus used, refers to the Valley of Hinnom, which was located south of Jerusalem. If you've ever been to Israel, chances are you've seen it, because it is still there today. In Jesus' day, it was kind of used as a garbage dump where both trash and the bodies of executed criminals were burned. It was one of the most repugnant places in the entire city. And the reason that Jesus compared this place to hell is because hell is a place of unspeakable, incomprehensible anguish and sorrow. Do you realize hell is is a place of emotional anguish? Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 13, 42. He says, and God will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you know why people are referred to as gnashing their teeth? Part of that is, is when people one day wake up in hell. Part of the emotional anguish will be expressed by this continual, never-ending gnashing of the teeth. It's when people kind of come to that realization of, I blew it. I had an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I had an opportunity to respond to the gospel message, and I rejected him. You may be sitting here this morning and you're not a believer. I'm gonna tell you, part of your emotional anguish if you end up in hell is you're gonna gonna relive this moment and other moments like it where you heard about this, where you were warned about this, where you were given the answer of how to avoid this and you chose to ignore it. You chose to reject it and you're going you're gonna to sit in hell and you're going to replay this moment and other moments like it over and over and over. Why didn't I respond? Why did I reject him? How I wished I hadn't done that. That's what Jesus is referring to there. That's that gnashing of teeth. It's reliving the moment over and over and over again wishing you had done it differently. Jesus also said that hell was a place of physical torment. In Luke 18, Jesus is telling a story about a rich man and a poor beggar named Lazarus. At some point, Lazarus dies, and it says that he is carried to Abraham's bosom, which is a place of paradise and comfort, while the rich man dies and goes to hell, which Jesus described in verse 23, he said, where he was constantly tortured. At some point in the story, the rich man cries out to Abraham and Lazarus, and he says this in verse 24, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool off my tongue. I am suffering in this fire. So in this story, Jesus makes it very clear that hell is a place of physical torment and suffering. And I know oftentimes that raises the question, do you personally believe in a literal place called hell? Do you believe in a place of torment? Do you believe it's really a fiery furnace? Do you buy all of that fire and brimstone stuff? I got to tell you, Jesus believed it was real. Jesus believed hell was a literal place where torment, suffering, and anguish occurred. And Jesus spent much of his ministry and teaching warning people about the reality of this place. So I think we would be wise to take Jesus at his word. Jesus also said it is a place of relational isolation. In Matthew 25, verse 30, Jesus said hell would be a place of darkness. And there he says, throw out the worthless slave into outer darkness. In that place where there will be weeping, and again, that gnashing of teeth, that regret. It is a place of darkness because in hell, it is complete isolation You don't have any friends. There's no fellowship in hell. There's no partying going on to hell, despite what some rock concerts like to sing about. Hell is a place of ultimate loneliness because you not only miss any presence of God as you know it now, you don't even experience the presence of friends. There's no fellowship in hell, there's no companionship in hell, there's no relationships in hell. In essence, hell is the place of eternal, solitary confinement. Jesus also said hell was a place of eternal punishment. Matthew 25, 46 says, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Do you realize hell is the only place in the universe where there is no hope? Here in this life, we can say things like, we'll get you next time. There's always tomorrow. Things are gonna get better. Things are gonna look up. Well, in hell, there is no next time. There is no tomorrow. There's no next year. It's eternal. Let me be clear. This is not what I am saying about hell. This is what Jesus says about hell. And here's the choice. If there's no hell, and what I said to you about hell is not true, then Jesus Christ is not God in human flesh. He's a liar and a deceiver. So again, which worldview do you accept? The worldview that Jesus gives us in the word of God or the worldview of a postmodernist or progressive who says hell's a myth, hell's not real, and no loving God would ever send someone there. Secondly, the character of God demands the necessity of hell. I want to tackle the burning question, again, that many people have about this whole subject. There have been books written, and this is kind of the statement that they use to kind of disprove hell or to disprove the notion that a loving God would send people there. And they'll say, a loving God never sends people to hell. Now, believe it or not, this statement, as is, is absolutely true. However, there are three words in that statement that really need to be clarified. The first word is loving. Yes, absolutely. God is a loving God. His love is unconditional. But he is not loving in the sense that most people use that word today, meaning a sentimental emotion, that that God's love is kind of some warm, fuzzy feeling That God's love is somehow just tolerant of everybody and everything. I want you to understand God is a loving God. But I also want you to understand his love is a holy love. His love is a righteous love. His love is a just love. The problem for many of us is we want to over inflate or overvalue or overstate the attribute of God's love, all the while deflating, understating, and undervaluing the attributes of God's holiness, His righteousness, and His justness. We talked and we sang about this this morning in worship. God is perfect in all of His ways, and that is true. God is completely perfect in his love, as well as God is perfect in his holiness, perfect in his righteousness, perfect in his justice, and in all of his other attributes. And so when it comes to the topic of hell, God's perfect love, his perfect holiness, his perfect righteousness, his perfect justice, as well as all of the other attributes, all of those attributes. Come into play equally. So, to look at or to make sense of the doctrine of hell through the attribute of God's love alone will cause us to draw faulty conclusions or to ask the wrong questions. Does that make sense? Okay, a few of you got it. Okay. It is true. And, and, and let, me, let me just say, that maybe you're here this morning and you are so secure in your salvation, you think this is a waste of time. What about the people around you, in your family, in your workplaces, in your neighborhood? They're going to hell. Don't you care? Does it not bother you? Does it not motivate you? Doesn't it it do something to your heart to know there are people around you that this is a reality for them and you have the answer and you can sit here this morning detached from this? God needs to do a work in your heart if that is you this morning and I make no apologies for that. If this offends you, let it offend you to the point you do something about it. It's true that that God is so loving. He doesn't want people like Scott Peterson or Hitler or Stalin or Osama bin Laden to go to hell. But God doesn't make that determination just based on his love alone. God said in Ezekiel thirty three eleven, as surely as I live, says the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked people. God says, I only want them to turn from their wicked ways, so they can live. Second Peter three nine says, God does not desire, or God does not want anyone to perish. So he is giving more time for everyone to repent. Let me tell you what, maybe you're here this morning and, and you don't feel like you've ever experienced any of God's attributes. I want you to understand this morning, if you are here and you are not born again, you have not come into a relationship with God, you've not repented of your sin, I want you to understand this morning, whether you realize it or not, you are experiencing the patience, the loving kindness of God this morning because he is giving you another opportunity, another day, another chance to repent and to turn to him. So for some of you, God is just giving you more time to hear the message, to hear the good news of the gospel and to repent. The Bible is very clear. God hates hell and his desire is not for people to go there. But at the same time, God is perfectly just and holy patient. He is completely merciful that he gives everyone an opportunity to repent and to turn for him, to turn to him for salvation at the same time. God is perfectly just. He is holy, righteous, that he allows people to choose hell if that is what they want. We all know this world is filled with people who reject God's love every day, who have no desire to really worship God's son, who have no hunger, no desire to hear God's word or to fellowship with God's people on earth. Do you understand they would be totally out of place in heaven? You ever thought about that? Can you imagine people who have no time for God, no desire, no hunger for God, no hunger for his word, can't stand the thought of going to church and learning more about God and hearing about God's word? Can you imagine dying and ending up in heaven in an eternal church service where 12 o'clock never comes and you never get to the buffet Can you imagine spending all that time with people who do love God and are praising God and worshiping the God that they never knew and never cared for? In that sense, do you understand for those people, heaven would literally be hell for them? I think if you think about it in in a very real sense, I think the love of God demands a hell. Think about a man who is going to propose to a woman asking her to marry him. And the woman says, I respect you, I admire you, but I don't love you, and I don't want to marry you. Now imagine that he proposes to her a second time, and she declines, a third time, and she declines. Finally, the man says, you know what? I love you so much, I'm gonna force you to marry me. I'm gonna force you to spend the rest of your life with me. Would you agree that really wouldn't be love? You would be exactly right and God is, his love is never gonna force people to choose him and God's love is never gonna force anyone to go to heaven that doesn't want to. And that leads to the second word and that is send. Let me make this as clear as I possibly can. God doesn't send anyone to hell. He simply gives people what they choose. He simply honors their choice. Several weeks ago, I told you that one of the reasons why there is evil on earth is because God created us with this ability to choose between good and evil. And some people just choose to use their freedom to do evil. If you believe that a human being has both the right and the ability to choose, then that demands that you believe in hell. Because without hell, there's no choice. And without choice, heaven would not be heaven. Heaven in reality would be hell. If your choice is only limited to loving God, whether you want to or not, and going to heaven whether you want to or not, then there really is no choice at all. Norman Geisler, a great philosopher, said that the alternative to hell is worse than hell itself because it would rob human beings of freedom and dignity by forcing them to go to a heaven they didn't want to go to in the first place, and again, robbing them of their free choice. I want you to understand hell is not simply a sentence that God passes on sinners who reject him. It is the end of a path that is freely chosen in this life, here and now, day by day. To every person on earth who kept God at arm's length, who said by their actions, their thoughts, their hearts, I don't want any part of you. I don't want any part of your son, Jesus. I want no part of salvation. I want no part of praise. I want no part of your worship. You keep your distance, God, and we'll keep ours. And God says, you want distance? I'll give you the ultimate distance. I will give you an etern- an eternity totally separated from me. See, the real question is, why would a loving God force sinners to go to heaven? That's a better question. Hell is simply giving a person what they have said all of their life they want. It is simply the eternal fruit of any earthly life that was lived totally apart from God. Then there's the word people. I want you to understand people don't go to hell. Only sinners who refuse to repent, turn away from their sins, and receive God's forgiveness, his gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Those are the people who go to hell. Now we're going to get to the crux of the issue of why unrepentant, unforgiven sinners do go to hell according to what the Bible teaches. Do you know what the most sinful thing a person can ever do in this life? Believe it or not, it's not murder. It's not rape. It's not homosexuality. It's not fornication. It's not treason. It's not incest. It's not child molestation. There's no question. All of these things are absolutely horrific. But do you realize they cannot compare to the rejection of God's son, Jesus Christ? The Bible teaches the ultimate sin is when a person goes through their entire life constantly ignoring God, constantly rejecting God's offer of forgiveness and salvation through Jesus, continuing to live a life without God, saying in essence, God, I couldn't care less What you put me here to do, I couldn't care less about your will, your plans, your purposes for my life. I couldn't care less that your son Jesus Christ died on a cross for me. I am not interested. That is the greatest, that is the ultimate sin. If you don't think that is really a big deal and if you don't think rejecting Jesus Christ deserves that kind of punishment, listen to this description of what a person is really doing when they fail to respond to God's offer of salvation. Hebrews 10:29. Listen to this. Think how much more terrible the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God, and have treated the blood of the covenant as if it were common and unholy. Such people have insulted and enraged the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to his people. This is not something to trifle with. The Greek word for trampled was used to describe something like salt, which was considered worthless because it had lost its flavor, and it was just simply thrown out on the road for people just to walk over it. In essence, the person who rejects the gospel of Jesus Christ, refuses to surrender their life to him, is basically saying, your death on the cross and your blood, Jesus, is absolutely worthless and meaningless. It is the attitude of a Ted Turner who once said this. He said, I don't want anyone to die for me. I've had a few drinks and a few girlfriends, and if that's going to put me in hell, well, then so be it. You may sit there and say, well, I don't have that type of attitude, but in essence, you really do if you die having refused Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Incidentally, also, do not get the idea that if people in hell had a second chance, they would do the right thing about Jesus Christ. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. He said, I willingly believe the damned are, in one sense, successful rebels to the end, that the doors of hell are locked on the inside. He's basically saying even in hell, people would not choose to go to heaven because in order to do that, they would have to do the one thing they definitely did not want to do on this earth. Do you realize Billy Graham could preach a thousand crusades for a billion years in hell and nobody would ever, ever be saved? So understand to deny hell is to deny the love of God. It's to deny the mercy of God, to forsake the holiness of God, the justice of God, and finally the grace of God. Because thirdly, it is the grace of God that saves you and I from the penalty of hell. I'm going to give you a little known fact that I want you to think about. God never prepared hell for you and me. Hell was never, ever designed by God, for you and me. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 25, 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. This place called hell was designed and created for the devil and his angels, not for human beings. That is why God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins so that through his grace and by faith, In his son, his death on the cross, we could receive forgiveness of our sins. We could receive the gift of eternal life. Speaking of the cross, if you're still sitting there and you refuse to believe what Jesus said about hell, then I want you to think about this question. If there is no hell or if somehow in the end everybody pretty much gets in and winds up in heaven, why the cross of Jesus Christ? What was the point of the cross? To the question, how could a loving God send people to hell? I ask, how could a loving God send his son to die upon a cross if it wasn't necessary, if he didn't have to? The truth is, nothing short of the reality of hell can explain the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that hell is exactly what Jesus Christ suffered on the cross? We sang about that again this morning in worship. When Jesus took the entire sins of the world upon himself, that it was the first time in his eternal existence that God, Jesus, experienced what it was to be totally cut off, to be totally separated from a loving God. The only difference is where Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus never knew that experience until that moment on the cross when God looked away. People in hell will be saying for all eternity, oh God, oh God, I know why you have forsaken me because I rejected you. I just want to talk about one last misconception about hell. And most people believe basically two things. If they believe in hell about who is going there and who is not. And rule one is the good people go to heaven. Rule two is the bad people go to hell. And honestly, if you look at it, if you think about it, it sounds fair. It sounds pretty simple. It sounds like a good idea. It's probably how we would have done it if we were God. The only problem is that's not what the Bible says. Do you know why? If good people went to heaven, heaven would be an empty place because the Bible says there really aren't any good people when you compare them to the holiness of a perfect God. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says it like this, indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. See, the secular worldview says that good people can find God. We can be good enough to earn our way to heaven, but bad people can't. Do you realize the Christian worldview is so much better? Do you know what the gospel of Jesus Christ says? And again, we sang about that this morning in worship. It said, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how bad or how wicked you've been. Anytime you want to, you can come to God, accept his son Jesus Christ, and by his grace he can forgive you. He can wipe the slate clean and you can be saved and spend eternity with him. His blood can cover you, his grace can save you. I hear oftentimes people sometimes feel like they've committed uh, certain types of sins that are so horrendous, or maybe they've committed a sin so many times that they just feel like there's no way that God could ever forgive me. Do you realize what you're saying in a statement like that? My sin. No matter how horrific, no matter how many times I've done it, my sin, it's greater, it's more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that is a lie from hell? There is no sin, no matter how horrific, no matter how many times it's been committed, there is no sin that is greater than the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. So maybe you're here this morning and you're wrestling with that. I want you to understand that the blood of Jesus Christ, it is so perfect, it is so powerful, it is so complete that it can wash away, it can forgive any and every sin. Two men were sitting in a restaurant. One man got absolutely angry at the other man and said to him, as maybe we have often said to others, go to hell. A Christian who was reading his Bible happened to be sitting in the next booth, and he turned around and tapped the man on the shoulder, and he said, I've been reading the directions, and you don't have to go there if you don't want to. And you know what? That is the gospel message. You don't have to go to hell if you don't want to. There's a word here for all of us today. If you're here this morning, and you're kind of an unbeliever, You've never ever asked God to forgive you. You've never asked God to come into your heart. Hell is real, it's a literal place. But I want you to also understand God did not create hell for you. And you can go to heaven if you'll just receive God's free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. If you'll just ask God to forgive you of your sins. If you'll just ask God, to use the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse you, you will receive his forgiveness. You'll receive eternal life. You'll go to heaven. If you're a believer here this morning, we ought to live every day rejoicing in our salvation, thankful that we're going to heaven and grateful that God and his grace has found you. For our church, I want us to remember Every time we meet, we are not a country club, okay? We're not a museum for saints. This isn't a place where we can just come and feel good about all the great things that maybe we've done for God this past week, and we forget about people outside the walls of these churches that are hurting, that are suffering, that are lost in darkness, we're not here to just socialize for a couple of hours, take a spiritual break, catch up on the week with a few friends and leave. We are a place of rescue. And, and I got to tell you, I don't enjoy having to preach sermons on this. I'm going to talk about, you know, we believe in heaven. Trust me, it's going to be a much more, you know, happy, you know, cheery subject. But, but man, we got to talk about this stuff. Because, again, while that may not be a reality for us this morning, it is a reality for people around us. And I, I, I just want the love of God, the love of other people to awaken us, to compel us, to help us to understand hell is a reality for some people And we have the answer. We have the message. We have the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. And we should be able to invite people to come here. We should be able to go to people who are lost. And share the greatest news that they will ever hear. That there is a way out of hell. There is a way into heaven. And his name is Jesus Christ who is available to anyone, anytime who wants him. Amen. Let's stand together. I just want to just pray uh, for Two groups of people here this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never, ever accepted Jesus Christ. You've never, ever asked him to forgive you, to ever, you know, come into your heart this morning and maybe again as we're talking about just the reality of hell this morning, maybe it's kind of waking you up and maybe helping you maybe to realize that, that that's where your life's going right now. And again, just the reality that it doesn't have to be that way. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago about meeting with my uncle, who's in the last stages of of cancer, and I remember walking in the room, and he said, I'm sick, I'm dying, I'm going to hell, and he said, I'm scared to death, and I said to him, God has an answer for all of that. If you're here this morning and you you feel in your heart of hearts that that is a reality for you, that you're going to hell, I'm here to tell you it doesn't have to be that way. God has provided an answer, a solution. His answer, his solution is Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to do this morning is we just kind of end our time in worship. There are going to be Christians up here this morning that would love to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to pray with you to invite Jesus Christ into your heart. They'll lead you in a prayer of repentance this morning. You'll be able to walk out of here knowing that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and that you're going to spend not just this life but eternity with him. So if that's you this morning, if, if, if God is speaking or God is moving on your heart, I'll never forget the time when uh, I was in that place myself. I just remember hearing the words of the pastor, and, and there just being this incredible pounding of my heart. It was as if God was just banging on the door of my heart, saying, let me come in. Maybe that's how God's going to move on you this morning. There's just going to be this banging on your heart. My prayer is, is that you'll respond, that you'll answer that call of God upon your heart this morning. For those of you that maybe uh, at one time, maybe you've made a commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And maybe things in life have, have, have taken a turn and you've kind of gotten sidetracked or you've gotten waylaid in that relationship. And you've kind of walked away from God. And maybe this morning, God is using this as an opportunity just to bring you back. God is a God of second, of third, of third. of of a thousand chances, do-overs, and maybe that's what you're needing this morning, is just, I I just, God, I just need a do-over. I just need to, again, just uh, uh, come back. Uh, So maybe you're just wanting to make a prayer of rededication, rededicating your life to God this morning. Again, people up here that would love to pray that for you. For the rest of us, as we kind of engage in worship again, a communion is available here. Uh, again, we take the cracker, we dip that in the juice. The cracker represents his body. The, uh, the drink, the juice represents his blood. And that blood is for the forgiveness of sins. And again, for those of us that are, that are born again, this is an opportunity just to celebrate, to give thanks to God that he gave his one and only begotten son that through his broken body, his shed blood, we have eternal life, we have forgiveness, and we just want this opportunity to say thank you, Father, for all that you've done for us through Jesus. So we're just going to invite you to come when you're ready uh, just to celebrate that. Father, we again just thank you so much. Father, we just, I just ask this morning, God, that you would just come and begin to release. The power of the presence of your Holy Spirit, especially over those this morning, Father, that don't know you. God, I pray, Lord, that there would just come this awakening in their heart. There would just come this awakening in their spirit. That you're calling them. You're drawing them to you right now, Father. And Lord, as the scriptures talk about, that it is the kindness, it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. So, Father, I just pray, Lord, that your goodness, your kindness would just be released over anyone here this morning that doesn't know you. And that, Father, that goodness, that kindness, that God is just going to draw their hearts to you. So, Father, I just pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit be released over those people, your goodness and your kindness be released over them. Father, also pray for those that maybe just need to rededicate their lives. That Lord, at one time they were on fire, they were living for you and God maybe got sidetracked for whatever reason. God, this morning they've created kind of a hell on earth for themselves, Lord, as they've lived out of that relationship with you. God, this morning I just thank you, God, as That prodigal son discovered that you were the God of second chances. You're the God of do-overs. And Father, this morning, that like that prodigal son, that God, they would just come to their senses, that they would realize there is a God who loves them, a God who desires to have a relationship with them. And that God, they would just begin to be drawn back towards you. And Father, like that prodigal son, that they would know, God, that you've been watching, you've been waiting And that, God, you're running to them now to embrace them, to welcome them back. So, Father, I pray if there's any here this morning that just need that prayer of dedication, that rededication, Father, that you again would just draw their hearts. And, Father, for the rest of us, Lord, just help us again to rejoice in our salvation. We just thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.